Today is, we're not done with Christmas. We are still actually in Christmas tide. Today is the first Sunday of Christmas. That's what it's technically called, the first Sunday of Christmas. And I think that's kind of interesting because, you know, we have this, all the excitement that goes into Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day, and then there's this little lull that we go through. And then we ramp up and we do it all over again for New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. So um, Pastor Sharon finished uh, last week with our series on the songs of Advent, and she shared uh, about Simeon and his song. And as I was preparing to, um, to deliver this message today, I thought about who would be a good character. And um, this gentleman stuck out to me. Um, he doesn't have a song. Um, we don't really even talk about him that much. Um, he doesn't speak that much in scripture, but he is a pivotal person in the Christmas story. And that person, of course, is Joseph. Um, so our scripture today comes from the gospel writer uh, Matthew. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can pull out where we'll be in Matthew 1, verses 18 through 24. If you'd like a Bible, please raise your hand, or you can follow along on the screen. So here's a reading of God's word. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. Let's pray. So, Father, we ask, uh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our ears, that you would open our hearts, that we would be able to hear and receive what you have for us as individuals today, and also what you would speak to us corporately. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I have a question for you guys. Um, let's see if we get more data in this service than we did in the other two. How many of you have used in-home DNA testing kits? Raise your hand. Oh, see, this is the honest service. More people spoke up. I know there are more of you out there, and it's okay. It's okay. This is not like that kind of quiz. Um, because The reason I know there are more of you out there is because as of 2017, these kits, and you know the kits I'm talking about. You get it. They come in a little box. We're not doing commercials, so I'm not naming. You swab your mouth. You put it in a little something or other, and you mail it back, and you get back these fantastic results, right? So as of 2017, about uh, 12 million Americans have used these kits, 12 million. And that averages out to one in 25. So look around. I know there are more of you in this room that are raising your hand, okay? And sometimes, you know, it's a fun thing to do. Some of us, we're getting back information, we're finding out about our family line, you know, we're 2.3.5.6%, you know, from Ghana, or we're 1.937 from Norway, and we have all these exciting little things that we find out. And then sometimes it's really practical. 
because you can find out health information. Maybe it's health information you never had. And so now you know this information, you can change your life, you can change eating habits, you can take better care of yourself so that you can use that information and it's, it's very helpful. And then sometimes there's some quirky data too. Um, on YouTube there were two, sis, two twins, twin sisters, and they both did the same testing device and got back different results. <laughs> So they had to, you know, they tried to figure out how that could be when they are definitely twins. And then sometimes the information's not that good. Sometimes we find out things we never wanted to find out. And sometimes that information breaks up families. Sometimes it destroys relationships because families, we know, have secrets. Right? And they're things that we don't necessarily have access to um, and we don't necessarily want access to. So the question is why, you know, why do we do it? Why is everybody so engaged in this whole thing? Why are we getting so excited about harvesting this information? I think it's because deep down inside, we all feel that there's something about knowing where I come from, something about knowing where you come from. There's something valuable in that. There's something about family and belonging, right? We belong to something, we belong to a group, we belong somewhere, and we have value in that. It matters to us. And sometimes we feel like if we find out this information, in a sense, maybe it'll change my life, right? Maybe I'll find out something that'll, that'll give me an anchor, that'll, that'll help me to feel like, wow, now I know who I am. So the Gospel writer Matthew, um, in this first chapter, he starts out with a genealogy of Joseph. Um, and it's quite extensive. And um, I, you know, when I'm reading through it, which we're not gonna read through the entire thing, but as I read through it today, and previously I thought, you know, he's actually trying to tell us the same thing. That even in Jesus' day, where you came from, who you came from, it mattered. Maybe it even mattered more then than it does today. But it definitely mattered. And look at the lengths that Matthew goes to in verse 17. He says, because I skipped, as you see, this skips in this uh, genealogy. He said, thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Joseph comes from a famous family, right? He comes from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He comes from a storied family. He doesn't come from just any tribe. He comes from the tribe, the tribe. And you better believe that he knew all about what that meant. He knew who he was in history. He knew who his family was in history. And he knew what that meant in his life. This was his heritage. This is what he grew up hearing about. He grew up hearing about Moses and the burning bush. He grew up hearing about uh, Jacob, the liar. He grew up hearing about Abraham. He grew up hearing these stories. He knew them probably like the back of his hand. We all have a heritage. I remember when I was a young child, my mom would tell me about um, her great aunt who she grew up with. She didn't grow up with her parents. And um, this woman came up from the South and um, she had worked on farms uh, in the South all her life and pretty much more into her adult life than really she should have um, because her family needed help. 
And so she finally broke free from that and she came up to New York by herself. She worked several jobs, three jobs at a time, all hours, all hours of the night coming home by herself. And she struggled, really struggled, saved, and eventually this woman who didn't even have a full elementary education, she saved enough money to buy her own house. Her own house, cash, there's no, there's no mortgages, you know what I mean, there's no, she's a woman of color, there's nobody giving you a mortgage. She did that all cash. And this story means something to me even today because I feel like it tells me something about my family and where I come from, something I can be proud of. So I would imagine that's how David, uh, Joseph felt as well. He felt that pride in his family. But even with all of the stories that he knew and all that he knew about his ancestors, I can guarantee you there's probably one thing that Joseph did not know. He had no way of knowing that he was gonna play a pivotal role in the coming and birth of the Messiah that he had been told his people were waiting for, for generations. He had no idea that he was gonna have such a powerful impact in that process. He had no idea that he was gonna make a decision that could change the course of history. I imagine, you know, as he grew up, um, just, you know, just thinking about his life, and he's this Jewish man, and um, as of the times, you know, what did young men do? Um, you, you got married, you had children, you know, you fulfilled your destiny and your responsibility to your family. And so, when he became betrothed to Mary, one thing that we need to note, a kind of sidebar, is betrothal is not like engagements as we think of them today. You know, today, people get engaged, they may be engaged on Monday, by Friday, they broke up, they, maybe they go to the altar, they leave somebody at the altar, you know, there's all kinds of chaos that we do today. In biblical times, it wasn't like that. A betrothal was a contract. It was a contract. So, generally, your parents picked out your mate, um, there's a lot of preparation. Remember, there are no phones. Nobody's hopping on Amtrak or JetBlue or anything like that. People are traveling for months to get to this wedding. And it's not two hours. It could be a three-day affair. It could be a five-day affair. It could be a two-week affair. It's a huge lot that goes into preparing for a wedding, right? The only way you broke it was by divorce. That's how you broke it. So you better believe when Joseph and Mary confront this reality of this pregnancy, when he hears about this pregnancy, you better believe he knows exactly what this means. He knows the disgrace. He knows the embarrassment. He knows the shame. But there's one thing I realize that I never stop to wonder and it's kind of funny, but I never stopped to wonder, what if Joseph had done something different than we know he did in the story? Do you ever think about that? What if he had done something different? Now, you know, God was going to do what God was going to do as far as Jesus coming into the world and being birthed. We all know that's, that's scripture. I'm talking about Joseph, this person. What if he had done something differently? What if he said, you know what? This is way over my pay grade. I'm out. Nope. I can't. I won't. No, I'm not doing it. 
What if he had done that? Think about it. What would you do? Really, honestly, what would you do? Have you ever had like some plan in your life that was sealed? It was clear, it was clean, it was figured out, and then all of a sudden something comes and just wipes it out, and it's gone. Has someone ever promised you that they're going to do something that you relied on, and I mean relied on? You made steps based on what was going to happen, and then that person bails on you. How did you feel about that person? Did you watch them just be stoned alone? Maybe you were the one that abandoned yourself. And so did you allow yourself to be convicted and stoned by yourself? Just think about it. What would you do? What would you do? This is a real thing. These are real people. A few years ago, um, this magazine called Inside, they published the results of a study that they had done and they had about 53 people, um, groups of men and women, and they had taken them through this program called PrEP. And so PrEP is like, um, it's like a marriage counseling, kind of maybe what we would do at our uh, premarital seminar, right? So they're training people on the skills necessary to have a successful relationship. Um, and so it's going, the, the course goes over a period of time, and what they realize is just like with anything, there's gonna be a segment of people that at the end, you'll find out these people got divorced. And so part of the study was they needed to find out what was it? Why did these people still get divorced after all we poured into them or we taught them? You know, how can we change the program? So they need to find out what's the reason. Now, this is not, what I'm going to share with you is not about all divorce and why everybody gets divorced. This has nothing to do with that. It's specifically in this circumstance because of the way this program was formatted, okay? Um, so the thing they found out was really surprising for them. They were not expecting this to be the reason. But the main reason they found out in this cohort was a lack of commitment. A lack of commitment. This group of people said that was the biggest issue and why they had divorced. And in fact, one woman said that she, she, she cared for her partner as, um, as a friend, you know, and she loved him as a friend, but she realized once she married him that she lacked the commitment to be his wife. She lacked that level. It couldn't go that deep. It was just, we're fine when we're friends. But to have the commitment to be in a covenant relationship, she didn't have that. Now that's one thing we know Joseph didn't suffer from, right? He was a Jewish man. He knew the customs. He knew his responsibility to his family to his community, he knew what marriage was. He knew what the betrothal was, he knew the process, and he knew what it meant, not just to him, but to everyone around him. But here's the great tension. Here's the great tension. It's easy to kind of skip from, Joseph, here's the information, and then skip over here to the angel speak. It's really easy to, you know, it's, it's neat, isn't it? It's neat. I have a problem, the angel speaks. I would love that that happened to me. But I, I don't know about you, but the angels are not speaking when I have problems. But what about that space here? Joseph hears this information and he has to 
sit here with this information. He has to sit in it. And it's not just the disgrace. It's not just the shame. Not only personal shame. Shame for my whole family. My whole clan. Everybody, I'm, everybody's going to be shamed, right? It's not just that. You know what the other thing is? His faith. Remember, Joseph is a Jewish man trained in the law. He's trained in the ways of the law. And he's been taught his entire life to obey the law. So look back. Let's look back at the scripture. Verse 19. And it tells you that. It says, because Joseph, her husband, because he was faithful to the law, and yet he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. So here Joseph is, he's like, he's trapped. The law, and then I have Mary. The law, and the law tells him, Deuteronomy 22, 22. If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. Leviticus 20 and 10. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. Those are not ambiguous. <laughs> must. Death. That's it. Death. He's a man of the law. He has zero options. And so part of Joseph's torment is not just the shame, it's not just the disgrace, it's how is my faith letting me down here? What am I supposed to do, God? What am I supposed to do about this? And yet, this is something that is amazing. Joseph, this man of the law, he dispenses grace. It's like, it's like the baby that's in Mary's womb is already working in the world. And the baby transforms Joseph before the baby is even born. Because Joseph doesn't know what grace is. He's a man of the law. He lives by the law. He's been taught the law his entire life. And the law gave him zero options. And so Joseph, this man under the weight, the weight, the shackles, the burden of the law, he pours out grace to Mary. Mary receives that grace and she births grace into the world. Joseph, a man of the, under the weight, the crushing weight of the law, he pours out grace to Mary. Mary receives that grace and she births grace into the world. Every, everything that Joseph has learned his entire life comes down to this one moment. This one moment. This is his moment. 
Everybody has their moment, right? We all get a moment. Like they say, you're 15 minutes. This is Joseph's moment. But the one good thing is because of his family, even though he was a man of the Lord, he knew what God did. He knew what God does. He knew the ways of God. Psalm 90, 91 tells us, it says, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Look, sometimes God just needs you to hang in. Hang in, just even if it's by your fingertips. Just hang in long enough so you can position yourself that he can dispense salvation to you. Just hang in, just long enough. Now, if this miraculous transference of grace is not enough, like for me, that kind of blew me away, this is one other thing that I want to leave you with. Now, you know, in the beginning, when I started talking to you, I was sharing about heritage and family and lineage and the blessings of the storied family, right, that Joseph has. But the reality of that is that some of us don't have that. Some of us don't have that. I didn't have that. You know, my parents, um, they loved me, um, and they were good parents, but I didn't have that spiritual heritage. You know what I mean? Like, and I would hear people talking about, oh, and mom, and grandma, and this one, and all, we all went to church, and I was like, we were Christers. You know, Christers for those, those Christmas and Easter, those are Christers, okay? There's a name for everything, you know that. There's a name for everything. So we were Christers. And so from time to time, as I heard people talking about their heritage, I would say, you know, God, why, why is that not my story? Why don't I have like this long lineage of faith? Man, how could that change my life when I was 10 years old or when I was 13 or 17? I knew there was a God, but I didn't know that God thought about me. I didn't know that God loved me. I didn't know that God rejoiced over me. I thought God was for other people. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not just talking about, you know, having some idea of what God is. I'm talking about really having a heritage of knowing the value that you are to God. That's what I didn't have. But the thing is, I have another gift for you for Christmas. And the gift is that in this story of Joseph, God is telling us this is not the end, even for those of us that didn't have that. Now look at this. We know that Joseph was not Jesus' father. We know that, right? In our language, he would be his adoptive father, correct? Okay? And we know that Jesus didn't need to be part of any lineage. He created the lineage. He didn't need to be a part of it. It was a part of him. He wasn't a part of the lineage. The lineage was inside of him. He was God, right? So we know that. We can put those things. We can drop those two things. Now, could it be, could it be that God was foreordaining what he was going to do with us? Could it be? That he said, I'm going to be in an adopted family in this lineage 
because one day I'm going to adopt you and engraft you into the very same lineage. Some of you doubt. You doubt me? Let's look at Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 verses 5 and 6 says, In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. What God did is he engrafted us into this line of Abraham. We weren't born into it. I wasn't born into it. Most of you weren't born into it. He engrafted us into this lineage. But Jesus showed us the way even before he got here. Because he allowed himself to be adopted into that same lineage. Now the beauty of engrafting no one can see the root that's been engrafted. Once it gets in, once the plant, once this, this, this baby plant is engrafted into the original, you can't tell the difference. It looks, the engrafting looks like it's always been there. Okay, let me tell you this way. So some of you that say, well, I just don't belong. No one knows you don't belong because you're engrafted. You look just like the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You look exactly like them. Exactly like them. And what's more, what's more, you are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You are the family of God. You are part of the family of God. You are part of this storied heritage. So as the worship team comes up, I just want to close you with this thought. What if for 2020, what if we decided that we were actually going to embrace this truth? And that this year coming up, we were no longer going to spend our time trying to figure out what we need to change. Okay? It doesn't matter if your family was wealthy. It doesn't matter if your family was working class. It doesn't matter if they were poor. It doesn't matter if you don't know who your family was. It doesn't matter if you knew your father or you didn't know your father. It doesn't matter if neighbors thought your family was ugh or they loved your family. None of that matters because you are still engrafted into the great lineage that produced Jesus the Messiah. That is your reality. That is your truth. And so we no longer go into a new year saying, I need to just become this new person. I'm going to become the perfect person. You're already the person. You're already the new person. All you need is to ask him to open your eyes so you can see yourself the way he sees you. That's all we need. The Lord called for all of us to have death. Every last one of us. Death. Every last one of us. Just like Mary. But you know what? God dispensed grace. And that is the best news and the best gift that any of us could have for the new year. Amen.
Amen. Let's stand and worship. Love you like your family loves you. He doesn't love you like your friends love you. 